let's begin. Now, I have scriptures in my notes to save us time, but we're going to be here a little while, I believe. So just sit back and just rest, and we'll begin with 2 Timothy 4. Now, as we continue on, I want you to actually get your Bibles out and read some of these verses, especially as we get further on down in this, because hearing things, we have we, different people learn different ways. Some people, it's through hearing mainly. Some people, they, they have to visualize, see something, and some people have to have both or what have you. Some people have to read. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to write some things on the board here. But before we do that, I want to lay some groundwork. 2 Timothy 4.2. So this is the Apostle Paul, and he's telling Timothy this. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Then he says, convince, re, uh, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Now, whenever I begin to write, I'm going to scribble because I don't pay no much attention to it because my mind continues to go to the next thing. But anyway, exhort. This word is in the scriptures in various places. And it's actually, if you would look it up in Englishman's Concordance, you'll see that it's, there's other English words used in the Bible uh, dealing with this particular word. But it has different meanings. And the meaning or the application of the meaning will depend upon what is going on in the church and I'll, and I'll, or with an individual. So I want to show you that. Thayer's definition of it is to admonish. And, and that can mean or means to show disapproval. And you see an example of that. Uh, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul deals with immorality in the church, and he's exhorting the members of the church, the leaders of the church, to deal with this particular immorality. So he exhorts them. He, 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 he's uh, showing his disapproval of that sin and that whatever's going on there in that particular uh, the Corinthian church at that particular time. So it can mean that. And... To take that to a level maybe that we'll understand a little better, uh, those of us who have children, you can admonish your child. So your child may do something that they know they're not supposed to do, and they know it's wrong, and now you as a parent have to exhort them. You have to show that you're displeased with them and what they did, and then you, know, you deal with them you know, the way you should and so on and so forth. So that's one meaning and one application that's seen in the scriptures in various places. Thayer's also uh, uses this as a definition. To comfort. Now I'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 just to show you this. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So God is the God of all comfort who comforts us. And it's really, really nice to be in something 
a, a tribulation, a test, or whatever it may be, and the Lord come and comfort us in that. Not necessarily get us out of it right away, but to comfort us in that. Remember, Jesus said, I will send the comforter, and he shall be in you. So he comes and he comforts us in various ways. Verse 4, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, Paul says, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. So as God comforts us in a situation, now he does something in our heart, in our life, so that when someone else is in uh, some dire difficulty or problem, we have the comfort of God that we can give them. See, so that, that's how that works. So comfort is another meaning of the word exhort. Now, Strong's defines it this way. And I like that because... Probably all of the definitions that we find uh, for this word exhort, the purpose behind them is to come near or to call one near. So that if you take your child and your child does something wrong and you're exhorting them, that's not because you don't love them. It's not because you want to push them away. It's for the purpose of doing something in them, uh, to deal with something in them maybe, in order to bring them near. That's the point. That's, That's the reason. It's not to push them away. It's not to condemn them. It's none of that. It's to bring them near. And God will use this, uh, I don't want to say the word, because, see, the word, it's describing what the Lord is doing, and the, the application of that, or us seeing that, will be in, you know, God showing us, well, what, is he, what are you doing Lord, here, Lord? Are you comforting? Are you admonishing? Are you drawing someone near? What's going on now in this exhortation? So various things can be going on. Now, I'll read this from the Amplified. Titus says, Tell them all these things. Urge, this is Paul telling Titus, urge, advise, encourage, and warn. So in the exhortation, you can have an urging to to move a certain way, to do a certain thing, uh, to give a certain thing to God, whatever it may be. Uh, Advise, encourage, uh, and warn. Warn of a path that the person is walking in that's incorrect, whatever it may be. Okay. Now, this is, this is what I want to show you. The word exhort in low and Nita's lexicon means to cause someone to be encouraged. Low and Nita's, they give you three usages or some, well, for this particular word. Sometimes it's more. And you can go to the scripture and see how the different word is used in that setting. And a lot of them in this this word, the setting is to to cause someone to be encouraged. Now, I want to read this from the Amplified. Okay? But instead, warn, admonish. I, I just read that, didn't I? And encourage 
No, I didn't. I read a different scripture. That was Titus. Okay, this is very similar. But instead, warn, admonish, urge, and encourage one another every day as long as it is called today. So there is to be, as uh, Paul is saying here, or the writer to read the Hebrews, an admonishment, an urging, or an encouragement to another. Okay? Now I'll read another verse from um, Thessalonians here. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. So there was a purpose behind this, sending um, Timothy, was to encourage them. Now, if you have to be encouraged, or if the church here that Paul is sending Timothy to had to be encouraged... To me, this is saying that there must have been some type of discouragement amongst the people. And that's what I want to talk about today, the word discouragement. And I want to erase this. A couple days ago, I was in my office and I said, Lord, what do you want me to bring out Sunday? Is is there any particular thing? And then I got up and I did something, and this word kept on coming, you know, to my spirit, encouraged, discouraged, you know, that, that, that whole thing. I said, well, what, what does this mean? And so I started to look at this, and it's, it's quite something. I want to list some, and I do say some, some of the causes for discouragement. One, I believe, is fear. Are we afraid, as Christians, to make mistakes? Are we afraid that the mistakes that we have made make it so that we are not accepted in God at this particular time of our life? Are are we afraid? Are we fearful? Are we afraid because we have made a mistake or failed that now, you know, others will look down on us, others will see our failures, others you know, know that I, I'm, I just, you know, I always stumble, I don't do things the right way, and so on and so forth. You know, am I fearful of some of the things maybe that happened as far as me, the mistakes, the different things I've done? Are you afraid that you're not good enough? There are people who are afraid that them, they, are not good enough. Now, I'm going to come back to this. I'm just going to give like a little outline here of this. Then we're going to come back and deal with it and show you some scriptures related to each one. Because I think that discouragement in the church is much more prevalent than we think. Than we think. And I'm just not meaning here. I mean with people. You know this happens with the people in the world. And in the church, what happens a lot of times is we cover ourselves. You know, we don't let anybody know what's going on in our own personal life. You know, and if we're discouraged, we don't let anybody know. We, we don't let on. But see, the Lord knows. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Another cause of... Um, 
discouragement. Can you read that back there? Frustration. That's a big one. That's a big one. See, circumstances of our lives can get us frustrated. Circumstances that are not to our liking, you know, we may be dissatisfied with them, and then we're in them, and things are not changing, things are not going the way we want them to go, or maybe the way we thought they would go, and so we become discouraged. And this is very common, especially if a person is in a circumstance that is long-lasting. You know, they can, you know, am I ever going to get out of this? Is this ever going to change? And, you know, they become discouraged and they just kind of, you know, flounder. So circumstances are big. You know, you're, and as I said before, your shortcomings. You think you're not accepted by, by others, maybe, and you get frustrated. You know, well, they didn't say anything good about me. They didn't say this about me. Or they said that. And, and you, you let it go, so to speak. But then later on, something starts going on in you, and you're frustrated about something, and you're not quite sure what it is. And meanwhile, it was something that happened before, and it's causing a problem with you in your spirit. And then maybe, you know, you're frustrated in relationship. You know, maybe with your husband, maybe with your wife, maybe sometimes, maybe not all the times. Uh, maybe you're, you're frustrated with your relationship with your children at times. So, you know, we can be frustrated for so many different reasons. And, you know, we, we function and we plot on through certain things without having the Lord take care of certain issues in our heart and our life to keep these things at bay. And then another thing. A person who, whose health is not as good as it should be. You know, your health, if you have ill health or certain things are going on with you and, and there's no change in that area, that can be frustrating. It can be. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. And sometimes it is with people. And as I said, we put a lid on that so nobody knows. And we just walk around and this is going on in our heart or deep down within us, and there is this frustration, and it's never seen until something arises, and then that thing comes out, and you know, it, it's shown. It's, it's, there's a frustration there uh, in the person. And another thing is, and this is, I don't know if this has happened with you or not, but you pray about something, and you pray about it, and you pray about it, and this is a long-term thing. Your prayer is not answered, and it may be year after year after year, and that prayer is not answered. And, of course, there's reasons for that. But what that can do, it can be a source of frustration, how you deal with unanswered prayer. Now, 
I'll just share this with you. The Lord called me to write a book, which a lot of you know. And this thing has been, now I never birthed a baby, of course, but it's been like a birth. It's just been, it's time after time after time, it's been one thing after the other after the other with the, with the publisher and everything, with two different publishers. And at times, I used to sit there at my, at my desk and I said, Lord, this is just really frustrating. You know, why is this like this? You know, I thought you just, you know, you write the book and you get it out there and that's it. But there were so many different things uh, that were going on. And, and a lot of them was the lack in my heart and life. And, and so what brought me comfort and what, what pushed the frustration away was I knew that God had called me to write this. And I knew the, um, the road I was going to have to walk in it. But at the time, it just, you know, you get through one thing, and then you, you, you get down a little further, and you say, okay, now things are moving you know, pretty good, and boom, something else is right there. And it was like one thing after the other. So I had to guard my heart so that I didn't get frustrated over the whole thing and give up. See, we can get frustrated and give up. Now, another cause uh, of discouragement Oh, this is a big one. The inability to please others. To be a man pleaser. You try your best, you try your best, you try to please this person, you try to please that person. And it seems as though, you know, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And then over a period of time, you become discouraged. Eventually, after trying to please everyone and being unsuccessful, the person can fall into discouragement. And here's another one. Failure. Maybe, you know, we failed in a certain area. Maybe we failed with our, our wives or with our husband or our family or, or whatever. You know, maybe we reacted wrong at work or, or, you know, gave someone a piece of our mind whenever we knew that the Lord doesn't want us to do that. And so the enemy of your soul will take that, any failure that you have, the enemy will take that. And you know where he's going to put it? He's not going to put it behind you. He's going to put it right up in front of you and keep it in front of you so that hopefully you will see that and you will begin to focus upon that failure. And eventually you become discouraged. See, this is, this is a big tool of the enemy, of your soul, to discourage you. See, God is the encourager. God is the comforter. The enemy is the discourager. He is the one that brings unrest. And it's just the way it is. Now, and as I said, this is, of course, not a complete list. You know, we could add this. I shouldn't put a capital J, because that would mean Job. Your job. 
How many have ever experienced frustration in your job? Or put it this way, have you experienced things in your job you know, that have not gone right, they have not gone the way they should, they haven't even gone the way the rules of the company are set up for it to go? And you know, all these different things happen? Beware, if you, if you don't walk with God, and, and we'll get to this. You know, the way he wants you to walk, eventually you'll become you know, frustrated. You'll eventually become discouraged. So there, there are many different um, things that can discourage you. A person's age. You know, a younger person can be discouraged because they want to be older. Oh, uh, I want to be older because, you know, I don't like being 12 or 13. I want to be older like my older brother or sister. I'll have more privileges. Or a person who is in their 90s and they can't get around anymore can become discouraged. So there are many different causes of discouragement. Now, I don't know if I should write these up here or not. Results. Maybe I'll just write the word. There are certain things that re can result from a discouraged person. One being anger. You get discouraged enough in, in a w whatever thing that's going on, and you allow the enemy to jam that discouragement down your throat, you will find out that when something happens, all of a sudden, you'll boom, you'll explode. There'll be this anger that comes out of you. You won't know where, you know, where that came from, what, what's going on with this. And by the way, I personally believe that discouragement will eventually lead to depression. And that is a completely different subject. I believe that's like a stepping stone to depression. So the Lord wants to do something in our lives at the very beginning so that we are not discouraged or that we don't stay in that. We get out of it quickly. Another result is a negative spirit. The person begins to speak, and everything that comes out of this is negative for the most part. And, and I don't know if you've been around anybody like that. But, you know, they're discouraged, and everything is negative. Everything in their life, everything that comes down the road, it's negative, 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 negative. They don't see, any, see anything good, and they don't uh, say anything good. It's all this negative, negative, negative. And by the way, that's not just limited to people in the world. That can happen to Christians. Christians can become very, very negative. So that whenever, you know, the encouragement comes, what comes out is a negative answer. But that's for, for her or him. Or, or it's up here, but it's not for me. And, and they sit in that thing, and that's not good. It's not good. Another result is having no confidence when a person becomes discouraged, they have the, how many confidence themselves? I mean, as far as 
you know, God working through them, God wanting to do this, God wanting to touch this person or, or whatever through their, through their personal life. They have no confidence at all any longer because the discouragement now sits over them like a cloud. It just envelops them. And, and they just can't, they can't function. They can't function. That, and that's why I say that that moves right over to depression. Because if a person is in depression, there's different types of depression. But if a person moves into depression, sometimes it's very paralyzing. Uh, we've heard of the one individual, the woman who was in her house, what is it, 12 years, never came out of her house. She was depressed until the Lord touched her and set her free, and she, she hadn't been in public for 12 years. And the Lord, over a period of time in her life, brought her out of that. Another result uh, of depression, and, and I have seen this, is that, I shouldn't say depression, sorry. Well, it's the depression too. But when a person's discouraged, if they're discouraged enough, what they'll do is they will cut themselves off from church. They will cut themselves off from other Christians. They'll cut the, eventually cut themselves off from the Lord because the discouragement has taken over in their heart. Discouragement has taken over in their life. Discouragement has taken over in their, their mind and their thoughts. And, and they just they kind of just drift to the side and then they go. They drift away from church. Now, going back to this list here, there are solutions. Now, I was going to write all this down, but I'm not. It's too much. It'll be here too long. There are solutions, and God has solutions. And see, the world, when they move into discouragement, or into depression, they want to take them to a psychologist. They want to you know, do, do different things like shock treatment and what have you. But see, it doesn't have to go that far. As a Christian, God wants to, to come in and to do a work in us to get us away from that, to get us out of it, to keep us from it would be the best, and, and that we would see and understand what is really going on. Because sometimes, you know, what goes on in our spirit, we are not really too attuned to. You know, our perception of things uh, sometimes is not what it should be. And our thinking of things is quite different from the reality of it. So we talked about here or mentioned fear. You know, maybe you're afraid that you're not good enough. You're not a good enough Christian. You're not a good enough Christian at home. You're not a good enough Christian at church. You're not a good enough Christian at work. And I'm telling you, this is, is very, very common with Christians. Very common. It's just that they don't bring it out. It's, it's just pushed to the side for the most part. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. See, our acceptance is that we are accepted in Christ. 
It's not whether that person accepts me or that person accepts me or that person at work, you know, they're rejecting me. That's not it. See, the fear that we have, and some people fear rejection. You know that. But rejection can be very paralyzing, especially if someone you love, someone who's close to you, some family member rejects you. That is a very powerful thing. And people fear that. And that's just one example. That they can become under that and fear that and it gets a hold of them. And now they're in this place and they might not even really realize that they're discouraged. It's just where they are and they're, they're trying to function in that place. But things aren't going too well. Things in their life aren't going too well because of where they are because of where they are living. Now, in Isaiah, two verses, one in Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. See, so, so our fears, although you know, we can allow them to be prevalent in our life. The Lord, and you see this throughout the Bible, He says, fear not. Not just when He comes and appears, but He says, fear not. Because He knows that if that gets a grip in the heart, it, it, something will, will change in the, in the heart of the individual and there'll be trouble that they won't even link to that. So he goes on, he says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. You know the Lord has redeemed you. The Lord is your salvation. He is the light of your life. See, He is the one who has given His life's blood for you, to redeem you, to bring you and take you out from the world, and to bring you into a place in Him that you now will be secure and safe and in this place, these things will not touch you unless you let them. Unless you let them. I have called you by your name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters... When you, when you pass through the difficult times, when you pa pass through the problems, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, the fire of, of circumstances, the fire uh, of refinement from the Lord, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burnt. See, that's, that's the way the Lord has ordained it. That is the way that God has set it up so that if we are in Him, the fire will not burn us. I hope you're understanding what I'm saying. Your circumstances will not burn you up. They will not consume you. They will not take you and just cast you down. See, the flame of that will not touch you. 
nor shall the flame scorch you, for I, the reason why, for I am the Lord your God. See, so he has to be the center in this. He has to be. Now turn to 2 Corinthians, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin. So he, the first he is the Father. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for who? For us. That, or for the purpose, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So whenever you uh, came to Christ, you were made the righteousness of God in Christ. You were made that. See? You were accepted as righteous. Did you know that? And God treats you as you are righteous. See, that is, that is what is in him, in Christ. Now, we are, as believers, to remain in him. And I'll probably come back to that, because we can go out of Christ. Did you know that? Do you know that you can walk out of Christ? That position, that place? That's in 1 John chapter 2. He says it. You can, you can, walk, you can be in him initially... And the point is, you, you are always to be in Him. See, that is, that is a work of the Spirit ongoing. We are to be in that place. Now, do you understand what that means? Not with your head, but with your spirit and your heart. See, you know, we, should, we should be in this place with the Lord, and if we stay in that place... And do not let the enemy put these different thoughts and things in our mind you know, that, that we dwell on. I'm not worth anything. I can't do this. All that garbage that the enemy puts in our mind. If we can just keep that away and stay in Christ, everything we need in God will be supplied. Everything. And we'll be in a place where, you know... Growth, tremendous growth can occur. So that we might be the righteousness, we might become the righteousness of God. And of course, you know, righteousness is, is uh, just like sanctification. You know, sancti- you're sanctified and then, you know, it's, it's a continual work. So we are the righteousness of God, but see, that, that is to be a continual thing. Okay, now, let's turn to Ephesians. Now, let's go back to this one here, the second one on the board. Frustration. Ephesians 1. How many here would agree that life at times is frustrating? Boy, I got some hands up fast. (laughs) It's true. It is true. I mean, you go to work, and you're supposed to do this thing, and then now something else happens, and all this other stuff is going on, and you say, "Man, this is this is frustrating." Or you you know you plan to do a certain thing, and you want to push through to do that, and you know you're frustrated in that. So there's, that should be a signal something's going on. But see, life can be, if we're going to be honest, 
life can be and circumstances can be very frustrating at times. But see, remember this. We can either look at the frustrating thing, we can view the frustration and all the circumstances, all that that's going on, or we can center upon Jesus Christ. See, that is going to be the key for you and I as Christians. We sing the song, Jesus Be the Center. And, you know, that's a nice song. It's a good song. And I like to sing it. But remember, singing about it does not necessarily mean the possession of it. Now, it's good to sing it because, you know, possibly you could have the possession of it. But it doesn't mean that. So when you sing a song, and you see some of the words there, you know, you're, you're listening to them, you can pray, Lord, let this be so in my life. Jesus Christ be the center. Because there are so many things in this life that, that are fighting for your personal attention. I I could start writing things up on the board. Money, time, all kinds of things. And we will find that as we continue on in this life, there will be things that come that are frustrating. There's no two ways about it. So now let's look at Ephesians. The point here is that we allow our minds to focus upon the frustration rather than focusing upon Him. We'll walk over in our mind and we will entertain all this stuff here that's going on, that's, that's causing us to be frustrated in some way, rather than seeing what God has provided for us as Christians, and He's provided an awful lot. The problem is, we don't get it. We don't get it. You know, I don't really care how long a person comes to church. You can be coming to church here for 20 years. That does not mean that you get it. There are certain things that you much must catch in spirit, you must get that from the Lord so that you see it and you begin to function in it. Just coming to church is not it. There's something much more going on. So you have maybe the song service up here. There's something else going on underneath here that the Lord's in. You have the message, and the message is moving up here, see? And the Lord's moving in spirit underneath. So, not all people who come to church get these things. You know, Jim was talking about being in Christ. In the, in the scriptures, in the New Testament, you'll see these phrases. In Him, in whom, in Christ, in God. Those four, they're everywhere in the epistles. Why does Paul just throw them in there? Because they're words? Or do they have some significant meaning? They have a very significant meaning. 
And you, as a Christian, must find out where that place is. You must see it. You must, and I mean in here, you must see it. You must say, oh, I understand I am in Christ. You know, I'm in his purpose. I'm in his will. And I am going to walk in him. I'm going to function in him. And when the enemy comes with the frustration, when the enemy comes with the fear, when the enemy comes with this thing, you can push that aside and say, I am in Christ and I am going to function here. I'm not going to function in what I think other people think about me or what I think about me or you know, whether I am pleasing to that person or not. That, that, that stuff is going to fall to the side because Jesus Christ is the center of your life. In reality, not just reading the Bible, not just coming to church, not just praying, not just going through the motions, but Jesus Christ has become a reality in your life and you are functioning in a different way in your heart, in your life, in your spirit than you ever did before. And that is the place that we have to be. Or... The enemy is going to reach in there. He's going to grab, grab. How's the enemy going to grab? He's going to whisper in your ear, you're no good. You're a failure. You're not worth anything. And people, people believe that lie. Christians believe that lie. And they think that, and it's wrong. It's wrong. That is the enemy trying to pull you out of him over to here where now, you know, he can have his way. What I mean by that is he can get you moving a different way than than where you, you know, where the Lord wants you to be. Now, you know, as I said, life becomes very frustrating. Let's look at um, Ephesians 1.3. Now, I'll read this from the New King James and the NIV. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. I just noticed that right now. It says, where is the blessing there? Where's the blessing in that scripture? In Christ. You hear that? You read it? The blessing is not out of Christ. The blessing is in Christ. The NIV says, praise be to God the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So in this realm, all the spiritual blessings are in Him. Not way up there somewhere. Don't worry about that up there. You know, where are you? Where am I? Am I in Him today? And I believe that the majority here are in him. And, and that's determined by, you know, some other things. Okay, another verse in Ephesians 2, 6. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Now, the third thing on the board is the inability to please others. This is a big thing. 
And I believe that certain people deal with that more than others. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of, I don't know. The Lord's, I'm different, I guess. You know, I'm a different person, believe it. Uh, things are strange with me, I guess, sometimes. But I never really cared, cared too much about what people think. Now, it does affect, it does affect you. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But, you know, you can't live your life worried about what people say or think about you. And some people, that is a big thing. They're very concerned about pleasing others, pleasing others. You know what? You can't please other people. No, I'm going to get to that in a minute. I have, I have something here I want to just show you. Why can't you please people? Has anybody ever experienced that you can't please some people? Daily. Why? See, because nothing in this life can satisfy the inner man. Nothing. See? So you may please a person for a very, very short time. So they're pleased with you now. But because the satisfaction that they're deriving is from another place and not from the gospel, not from Christ, eventually they will be dissatisfied with you. That's just the way it works because that is in the heart of the individual. That, and God has put it there. You can't be satisfied with, if you, if you own everything in the world, it will not satisfy the need of your heart. It's not going to satisfy what is deep down within you. Only Christ will. And so, if I am trying to, let's say, satisfy Denise, and uh, you know, she, I know she likes coffee now and whatever, so I make her a nice coffee, and she's real satisfied. You know, I, I'm satisfied with her. But then she comes over, and I step on her foot and break her toe. Well, that might be a different story. She might not be too satisfied with me then, see. That's kind of like not the best example. But you'll find out with people that you may satisfy them at that moment, but it's not too long later to where now, you know, you can't satisfy them anymore or they're not satisfied with you. When we worry about what people think, see, we then are controlled by them rather than being controlled by him. Now, I, I saw, I remember, this was a while back, Charles Stanley was talking about this uh, some six, eight months ago. I, I just saw it just for a few minutes. And so I went to see if, um, if he had anything related to this subject, the causes of discouragement. And he, he, he mentioned a couple of these, but here's, here's some that I didn't mention. He has physical or, or verbal abuse can go, cause discouragement, and that's true. If somebody's constantly verbally abusing you, I mean, after a while, you know, you, you just want to give up. And, and maybe those of us who haven't experienced that don't understand. Here's another one, financial pressure. If 
Financial pressure can discourage a person. Unexplained adversity. So you're in something, you don't understand it, and it goes on and on, and you just can't you know, reconcile this, you know, what's going on as a Christian in your life now with this, and then you end up getting discouraged. And this is another one that I mentioned just briefly here. A feeling of worthlessness. I'm telling you, there are Christians who feel they're worthless. Oh, yeah. Who determines your worth? Is it the world? Is it because you're too fat or you're too thin? Is that going to determine your worth? You're too smart? Or you're not smart enough? Is that going to determine your worth? Or is it going to be your thinking on the matter? So I think that I'm a worthless whatever. And so because I think that way, maybe because of the way I grew up, who knows? But because I think that way, now I'm accepting that as the truth. And, and people, well... You know, all I do is raise kids. I'm worthless. I'm worthless. Or, you know, I'm not successful in, in business. I'm not successful with a job. You know, I don't do anything. I don't, you know, all these different things that I've heard from people over the years. And, you know, you try to, to get them to say, no, you know, you are not worthless. You are worth a lot. But see, you telling them that doesn't do it. You can tell them that. It may be good to tell them that. But see, they have to be brought out of that thinking. See, the Lord has to show them what he thinks about them. And that, it can be found in the scriptures. And the problem is a lot of times people don't read the Bible. They don't read the Bible. Ephesians 4, verse 24. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. See, if you as a Christian are walking with God and you are allowing the Spirit of God to work in your life and and He's a little bit at a time, bringing certain characteristics of the Lord into you. And and he does that. If that is the case, how can anyone say that they are worthless? When Christ is taking some of his characteristics, where it says we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, he does that. When he takes some of that, And he puts that in your heart a little bit at a time. How can you even think that you're worthless? You say, well, well, that's because that's me and not him. No, no. See, you are in Christ and in him. That's different. In him, you are not worthless. Now, if you go your own way and you do your own thing and you end up, you know, sleeping under a bridge because you, you know, you're homeless. Your, your life has value, it has, it has worth, but you have thrown it all away considering it as worthless. But see, 
you as a believer, regardless of what you're doing for the Lord right now, then maybe you're not doing anything for the Lord. You, you know, you're, you get up, you go to work, you go to school, whatever it may be, and you don't feel like you're doing much for the kingdom of God. That's, just put that thinking aside. See, he has redeemed you by his name. You are in him, and in that place, your life has worth. Some people think, well, if I'm not teaching, you know, if I'm not done, you know, teaching kids, or I'm not teaching, or I'm not preaching, that my life doesn't have worth. That is not true at all. Don't believe that. Now, I want to read some things here. This is dealing with this thought, still, of the inability to please other people. Now, do you know that every single one of us has three views? Three views. First one is how, God, how we perceive that God views us. See, that's a big thing because do you think that God thinks you're, you're worthless? You, you know, there's not much to your life. See, you know, what, what's going on with you? You know, how does God look anyway? I don't mean how he looks. But how does he look at you? What's it say in Samuel? He says that God does not look on the outward as man looks, but he looks on the inward. And then Paul says, and he talks about the hidden man of the heart. So the Lord looks at you, at your in, inward man, more so than what you're doing for him. That may be important, but he looks at the inner man. He looks at your heart. He looks at you inside. And he doesn't see the failures or the shortcomings the way you see them. Now, remember this. Who in the Bible do we know failed? Peter. I mean, talk about a failure. He denied the Lord three times. And Jesus knew beforehand, but he didn't think that Peter was worthless. He didn't reject Peter. Quite the contrary. He says, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you. Past tense, I have prayed for you. So even though the Lord knew that Peter was going to fail, he was going to deny him three times, still the Lord knew that there was great worth in the life of Peter. And to, to me, that is very comforting. Very comforting to know that if I fail, it's not over. But if, if Peter would have stayed in that frame of, of thinking, because I failed now, I'm not accepted, I'm, the, I'm worthless, my life, you know, it, it's never going to be the same... He would have never preached at Pentecost, and 3,000 people wouldn't have been saved under his teaching or preaching. See, so the, the thinking on that can really cause us a problem, really cause a problem. So that's one view, how we believe God views us. The second is how we believe other people view us. People will hold on to an opinion of you and me 
And that opinion may be grossly inaccurate. Grossly inaccurate. So they may think, oh, you know, he or she's a, a great Christian, a great person of God, and then look at me. Or they may look at you and say, you know, brush you off and say, you know, you, you do everything in the flesh. You know, everything you say and do is wrong. People have, will have an opinion on you, uh, about you. But how am I going to view the opinion that I possibly think people have? I mean, I, I can't live that way. You shouldn't have to live that way, worried about what people think of you. That, that's bondage. Who are, to, who are we to be concerned about their opinion of us? Jesus. And then the third is, how we view ourselves. And that can be grossly inaccurate too. And Paul says this, do not be wise in your own opinions. And that means even yourself, opinion of yourself. Now I want to read a few verses. I have them here. What Paul says about pleasing um, men. Galatians 1.10. For do I now persuade men or God or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be the bondservant of Christ. So Paul's saying that my desire to please men, if that is too strong, I will not be doing what pleases the Lord. You see that? Because we'll be concerned about what pleases other people and not what, what pleases the Lord. Then in Colossians, he says this, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye servant service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So he mentions that. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive reward and inheritance, not from men. So we are to be Pleasing the Lord. That's the, the main thing. And if you're walking with him, you know, you're, you're functioning in, in the way he wants you to function and walk, you're pleasing him. It's that simple. Now, if you're not, you're not responding to the Lord, or you're in sin, then you're not pleasing him. You know, it's, it's pretty simple. You know, are you doing what the Lord has called you to do? Are you where he are, you are to be? Yes, I am. To the best of my ability, I'm doing what I believe the Lord is wanting me to do. Well, he's pleased with you. It's not like he's up there, you know, he's ready to, to, to knock, you, knock you down. And then this one I really like, Proverbs 29. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. See, so the fear of man or pleasing people can be a snare, but those who trust the Lord will be safe. The enemy is not going to get in there. The enemy is not going to, to pull you out of this place. And then he says this. This is, um, I think this is Peter. And the other apostles answered it. Peter, that's right. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And that's just a few scriptures from the Bible. So Peter wasn't too concerned about what the Pharisees were saying about him, what others were saying about him. 
He was more concerned about what the Lord was saying, not, not the other people. Get this in your mind, that you cannot please everyone. I don't, I don't care who you are. I don't care how hard you try. You cannot please everyone. Secondly, you don't need to please everyone. You don't need to. And then thirdly, if you're rejected, it's not going to ruin your life. If you're rejected, and I know, believe me, rejection hurts. But it doesn't have to ruin your life. Some people, they get discouraged, and it ruins their their walk. They can't deal with it or whatever, and there they go. Now, I want to read some verses dealing with pleasing God. And the reason why I'm doing this is because I believe this is a very big thing, you know, wanting to please other people. Now, it's okay, you know, for your husbands to please your wives. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the attitude of heart that is paralyzing because you always try to please everybody and you find out that you can't. That, that is, is a dangerous thing to stay in. 1 Thessalonians 4.1 Finally then, brother, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. So, you know, he says to the church that you, know, you, you should please God and if you're walking the way you should, you know, you will please God. In Romans, it says, I beseech you, therefore, uh, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. That means pleasing to God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is pleasing to God. And then Hebrews says this, Do not forget or neglect to do kindness and good, to be generous and distribute and contribute to the needy, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. See, so if that's in our heart to do that, you know, the, the writer to Hebrews says that that's, that's a pleasing thing in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, let's um, go to Romans 8. Uh, no, go to, um, I'll go there. Go to, um, go to Hebrews 11. I'll re- read Romans Eight. See, we, we as Christians are to seek to please God. That is to be the main thing in our heart and our life. Because if we're seeking to please the Lord, and our lives are moving in that way to please the Lord, then if somebody says this or somebody says that, it doesn't really affect you. It doesn't bring you down because you know in your heart that you're walking in the way you're to walk. See, that's the important thing. See, these things will not drag you down. Discouragement will not drag you down because you know that you are moving and walking with him and and that you are, to some degree, pleasing the Lord. And so if you have that, you have that assurance that then when when something's said, you can just let it kind of... I always like to, to, you know, think, and I did this years ago, I wanted to be like a duck in this, where all the water rolls off my back. No matter what people say or think, it's like, whoop, whoop. you never see water sitting on a back stock, do you? Never. You don't see one drop, ever. Why is that? It all rolls off. 
Well, give me some duck feathers, see? So that when people say this or this is going on, that I can just keep on going. Don't worry about it. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get drugged down. Don't let this thing sit upon you. Don't let the discouragement come upon you. And just, just keep on going. In the John, it says this. And he who sent me is with me, Jesus said. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. So, so Jesus, in his walk, in how he, he, he moved, the things he did, uh, in his, his feeding the people, in his teaching the people, in his rebuking the Pharisees, he says, I always do the things that please the Father. So, so he had this connection that allowed him uh, to move in this place where what other people said, what other people thought, you know, that did not affect him to the point where he stopped, where he couldn't function, where he couldn't continue on. Uh, in Hebrews 11.6, this is a, a very familiar portion of Scripture. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So if you have, a, have faith, even if it's small like, the, like Jim was talking about, the grain of, of, of mustard seed, and that's all you have, and that's planted, it will grow. See, and, and, and rather than having your mind and your thinking and, and your faith in your failures and in your shortcomings and all this other stuff, if you can take that and have faith toward God, you'll please him. But if you're going to be letting the enemy take all these things and just drag you down into discouragement or into depression and all that, then you're not going to have faith in God. You're going to have, you know, a problem. You're going to have difficulty in, in, the, in the place that, that you're dwelling. I hope you're understanding here what I'm trying to get through. One of the things that you see in the scriptures is this renewing of the mind. You know, we need to allow the Spirit of God to correct, correct our thinking, even our thinking about ourselves. So whenever we were born again, we were birthed into the kingdom of God, birthed into Christ. And that was instantaneous. But when it comes to our thinking, see, we have all these chemicals going in our brain. You know that? There's, there's chemicals floating around there. And those chemicals, you know, come together and they enable us to think. But the Lord says that we need to have our mind renewed to the Word of God. And see, that is not instantaneous like being birthed from above. That will take time, and that can stop. See, if we're not spending time with the Lord, we're not hearing the Word, we're not spending time reading the Word of God and allowing Him to, to change our thinking, then we will, we will stop in that, and the enemy now will be able to get a foothold in our mind and hence cause all kinds of problems and we'll end up coming to the front or we'll end up going to other people and trying to, to get rid of this thing when the Lord wants us you know, to be in this place with him and, and not allow these thoughts to change. 
uh, you know, our direction, not allow the enemy to put uh, these things in us to discourage us. In, um, I, I actually uh, covered that where, where we see, I see two places in the scripture where, you know, there was failure. One was with, da- one was with um, Peter, the other was with David. Now, David's failure was quite bad. I mean, he committed adultery, and if that's not bad enough, he committed murder. I mean, that's pretty bad. I mean, nobody in here has done that, adultery and murder. And yet, he, he somehow had a heart that wanted God and wanted to, to, to be in right relationship with Jesus, with the Lord, and, and that caused him to come and repent. And because of the heart of David wanting the Lord, his failures were put aside. He could have stayed under that, his failure, and been discouraged and been depressed and ended up, who knows, do, doing what? Maybe uh, committing suicide. Who knows? But he didn't. See, so... We can't dwell on any past failure. I don't care what it is. It doesn't, doesn't matter. If you're a human being, and I see that all of you are, then I'm sure that you have failed somewhere along the line in something. That's not the point. The point is, have you put that aside? Have you put it over here and, and said, okay, I, I know I failed, Peter, He failed. David, he failed. He put it aside and looked to the Lord. That is where the victory is going to occur when you look to him, when he really becomes the center of your life. One more verse. Turn to Jeremiah. There's a verse in Proverbs, and we, some of us know we can quote it. It says, "Trust in the Lord with all your, trust in the Lord with all your might, and lean not unto your own understanding." And, and listen, lean not to your own understanding. Lean not to your own thinking. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. See, so don't worry about the thinking. Get the thinking out of the picture. And he will direct your paths. I, I told an individual one time that um, they were having a, a, a big problem in their life. And they were constantly dwelling on it, dwelling on it, you know, this thing, this thing, this thing. And I said to him, I said, the mind is really funny. And so I had them, I said, now count from 10 to 1 backwards. I said, when I point at you, tell me your full name and address and zip code. So they start go 10, 9, 8, 7. I said, and they told me now their name, their address, and their zip code. I said, now let me ask you this. Could you think upon the, the numbers, counting them down, and your name and all that at the same time? They said, no. I said, that should tell you something. You're going to only dwell on one thought at a time. Now, you women can multitask, but you can't do that. One thought, and then it has to move for something else to come. So, the point is this. That, and I told this individual, I said, you sit down 
and start to read the Bible, I said, and if you have to, read it out loud. Because if your mind is engaged in that, you will not be able to think about this other thing. And they started to do that and, and slowly come out of this particular thing. So, you know, the, the thinking is, is where the enemy can get a foothold in our life. He can do that if we allow him. In Jeremiah 29, familiar portion of Scripture, how does God view you? How does God look at you? When he sees you, what does he see? Now, don't, don't say, well, he sees all my shortcomings and faults. Well, that's beside the point. You know, you, know, you dwell, people dwell on their shortcomings and faults a lot more than God does. In Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts, this is the Lord speaking, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. You know, if you're walking with the Lord, you're serving the Lord. He knows the thoughts, he thinks toward you, says the Lord, Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And King James says to give you an expected end. And that actually... The Hebrew word there means an end of attachment. Did you know that? The Lord wants to, to give you an end. The end he wants to give you is an end of attachment so that you are attached to him. And it's just like, you know, the little, little kid, you know, when they're real close to their parent and everywhere the parent goes, they're like, you know, they're attached to them. They want to be right there. Well, the Lord wants an attachment with you. And that is this place that we've been, we've been talking about, this place of being in Christ. See, I'm going to read this again. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an end of attachment or an end of expectation. Is that how it says in the King James? Does anybody have the King James? Expected end. Okay. To give you an expected end. Uh, mine says to give you a future and a hope. But the strong says attachment. That's what he's after. This closeness with you. A closeness with you. Not about church. It's about being close to you. Now, I was before the Lord, and I said, Lord, why this message? You know, why this message? And I believe the why of this message is because that there are people here that are discouraged for one reason or another. Maybe some circumstance, maybe something's going on in their life, who knows? They're here today. And they're discouraged. And what we're going to do, could you, Denise, could you go up there? I'm going to open the altar again. If, don't worry about other people. So because you're discouraged does not mean you're, you're not a Christian. It means that you're having some type of trouble, and the Lord wants to get you through it. So as, as we sing a song here, 
we're going to open up the altar. And if you have been discouraged for any reason, you bring that to the Lord today. You bring it to him. You bring your heart. You bring your, your life. And, and you bring that discouragement. And we're going to pray and we're going to allow the Lord, by, by coming up here, you're going to allow the Lord to change things in your life. Maybe you're thinking, whatever it may be to get you out of that discouragement. I'll tell you what, have you ever been around, like as one individual said to me, he said, I can't stand that person. I said, why? He said, because they're always cheerful. They're always in a good mood. I'm thinking, am I hearing this? (laughs) Have you ever been around somebody that they're always cheerful, always looking on the good side? They're not, they don't have this negativity you know, everything that comes out of their mouth is negative, this, 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 this. It's always a, a positive thing. A lot of times those people, you, they're never discouraged. They're not in that place. Because they're thinking in a different way. See, you can think in a different way. Life is not all in the doldrums. You know that. You know, maybe you have unanswered prayer. You don't know why the Lord has not answered you. And now you're getting discouraged. The Lord doesn't want that. The Lord is the encourager. The enemy of your your soul is the discourager. You may have to deal with people that are discouraged. You might be around them. You might work with them. You might live with them. And they're discouraged. Well, they're in that place, and you can't help them. Maybe you can encourage them in this or that. The other thing... But the only way you will be able to help anybody is if the Lord is able to encourage you so that you're not discouraged. And when you're not discouraged, now you have something to encourage others with. 